This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Welcome to the special live episode of EM Weekly and we felt that we needed to go live a little bit for a couple different reasons and uh, one is we're just going to do a quick uh, coronavirus COVID-19 um, update here and some of the news items that are on here which are really kind of uh, grabbing me right now is that global deaths have just crossed over 10,000 Um you know that's a that's kind of a big number right there, and and I, I, it seems like it's going to go up. And and again, it's the the elderly, and it's those with underlying conditions that are dying. There was a story the other day about a man who was 32 years old who died um, from this, and he though had underlying uh, respiratory issues his entire life. So it's still not necessarily getting uh, young people, um, although the military has had a few reports of positive COVID. Uh, however, it doesn't seem like we've had any deaths uh, with anybody with not any underlying conditions, and Jerry can, can fill us in on that. Californians are ordered to stay home. Uh, unless you are a critical uh, worker, they're asking you to stay home, although it's very loose on what that means, right? And if you take a look at the orders from Orange County and also LA County um, of what that means to stay home, there's a huge laundry list of, of exemptions to that, so we'll get into that a little bit too. Um, and Two other things we're going to get into, or I just want to kind of cover really quick, is we're having a, we're going to have an economic issue associated with this, and we're going to talk about recovery with Jerry as well. Um, but restaurants are taking a huge hit, um, not only just because people can't go to them and there's only uh, dine out services, uh, but um, what about the restart? What that's going to look like in a couple of months or weeks, whatever it is when we're done with this. And then uh, the other part of it, too, is everybody seems to be working from home. What does that mean for the economy? And what does that mean for the Internet? And those are some questions that uh, I think that we should really be discussing here because the other day uh, when I was working from home, uh, we did actually have some issues with, with logging on. and Things seem to be slow, but it seems to be because you know, at peak times, everybody's using the same pipeline to, to get onto it. So those are some of the things we should probably really be thinking about um, as – not only just as as people, but as emergency managers, is what? How does that affect us? In Florida specifically, their eight hundred number that they use for conference bridging failed, um, and it, it they lost. They had normally like around you know three four hundred people on these conference calls. They're getting closer to a thousand, and it, and it and it broke their bridge, so they were unable to communicate for a little bit um, on their eight 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 number. And the other question that we have to ask ourselves as EMs is if we don't need to be on that call, if we don't need to call in, let's get the update from our coworkers because I know it's nice to hear the information. Uh, or if we do um, go into a, a conference room and use one phone for multiple people, don't have people calling in from, well, I guess that kills the social distancing, doesn't it, Jerry? Um, anyway, uh, let's uh, get into it. Jerry, welcome to EM Weekly. Todd, thanks very much. And, and yes, this is going to be a, a challenge like uh, emergency managers have 
never seen before, and I'll bet no one forgets who their emergency manager is after this. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You know, we've seen over the years uh, people cutting emergency management or, you know, going to collateral duty and, and things like that, and, and I think this might actually kind of uh, be the time for EMs to, to kind of shine, I think. What do you think? Uh, uh, very much so, uh, because it's going to impact every single organization one way or the other. Uh, you know, in California, we had uh, relatively few disasters until uh, 2017. Then we had nine in less than 24 months, and we had a lot of emergency managers who didn't know how to spell FEMA because they were brand new on the job, not their fault. Um, but unless we practiced some of this activity all the time that that institutional knowledge goes out the door mm -hmm. and we get flat-footed absolutely so fema was announced now taking the reins um on the federal level uh, of this event and i know that health and human services was doing it before um and now fema's in charge what does that mean for this response and recovery uh, I don't think it means much for the medical uh, side of this equation, but FEMA really does have unparalleled logistics capabilities. They have broad authority to issue mission assignments. They can make things happen that HHS on their own couldn't, much like the California health officers who can issue health orders, but they can't make things happen without mm -hmm. the civilian authorities coming along with it. So I... Uh, you know, uh, uh, over the years, I've, I've had many challenges with FEMA, but I think subject to performance, this is a good move. Now, Craig Fugate was on TV the other day when he had a, a little bit of a meltdown, but I, I kind of understand why. Um, but he was basically saying, hey, look, at this still has to be a local executed event. This is not going to be driven from the the federal government down we're not pushing shouldn't be pushing down the other guest that was on the show started saying hey no we need to have you know all the information coming in from the federal government and being pushed down to the states uh and and it seems like there is a little bit of miscommunication if you will and i don't want to say miscommunication there's a little bit of 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 not a great concentration of messaging even within california where you have one county doing one thing, the other county doing the other, and then the state coming in and saying something else. Well, how should we be approaching this event? This is unprecedented, but how should we be approaching this nationwide event? Okay, well, there was an interesting call with the National Association of Counties last night that spoke to, you know, 50, we have 57 declarations, we have 50 states, several territories, all of them have different underlying state rules. In California, we have lots of different labor codes compared to other states. So there are local and not gentle nuances to what uh, county or city emergency and special district emergency managers can do. We're going to keep a lot of lawyers busy sorting all of that out. So I think that, uh, there's got to be a lot of coordination. There was in 1976 when we did the swine flu one without FEMA even being in existence. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there, you know, Federal assets, federal capabilities are important to this, but the biggest thing that the federal government can do is take the strings off where bureaucratic requirements get in the way, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the procure procurement rules 
there are conflicts all over the country between federal procurement requirements and what state and local laws permit. And I'm not suggesting a free-for-all because states have procurement rules and laws that can be followed uh, when they have their own money. And and we're not going to solve those differences in a couple of days from the uh, National Coordinating Center. Unless you take the, the... ropes off and the handcuffs off, it, we're going to get in our own way like we usually do. And this this one, we it, response time has to be minutes, not weeks or months. Right. And I do understand that there are, they have lifted some of the rules um, regarding procurement. And I know that, uh, which is not necessarily within the FEMA area, but they uh, have lifted some of the HIPAA rules with sharing of information uh, which I think is going to make things easier for for the healthcare side of it, um, and the making making procurement a little bit easier as well. But there are still some of the roadblocks that are in the way. What can we do as organization, as as emergency managers, as maybe even IAM or or whoever's speaking for us this time? How can we get that that stuff, those roadblocks uh, lifted? Well, uh, good question, and it's really going to be very much state-specific. For so each state's going to have to come up with their own list. Um, you know, we have we have a, a sharing system in California with Cal OES. Uh, I haven't heard the the uh, commitment of CDAA state disaster matching funds yet. Uh, it's allowed, but it's not in place yet. Um, cash flows already uh, being an issue. The the paid leave issue is going to be huge, and I, listening to some of the NACO information on federal legislation, you know, local governments are going to be impacted very differently than uh, businesses are, and people are making a decision without that knowledge of, of what's covered and what's not, and it's not going to be FEMA coverage for things like administrative leave. Um, I mean, that's not an emergency protective measure. That's a meet and confer item in California. Right. Uh, so it, it's a big deal. But, the, you know, the procurement issue is huge. Um, we have emergency authorities in the State Procurement Act, and we need to be allowed to do that. We don't need to be filling out 10 pages of federal documentation to prove we, we did state legal emergency procurement. Some there are some local governments that are even more strict than the state procurement requirements. Those are going to get in the way, but those can be waived with emergency ordinances, which means city councils and board members are going to have to come to special meetings and say, we, we, we waive these requirements and here's the new way of doing it for this event. I mean, those, those things will hit the fan very quickly when we have a supply need that we can't, yet, and FEMA can't deliver as fast as we need it. I, I suspect FEMA will eventually be able to deliver a, a lot of uh, materials, but even in 76, we had the health officers around the state on the phone deciding who needed what first. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I tweeted a couple of days ago about dueling health officers, you know, uh, you know, ten paces, turn around and and shoot. So who who needs what first? Right. And those are the people that need to be making that decision. And you know, I quite you know, the elected officials are important. They have to do their job. But when it comes down to a medical issue like this or health supply issue, uh, 
the health officers have to say that. And I do want to get back to something you mentioned earlier. You know, there are different health officers in counties that have issued different health orders. But with Governor Newsom's uh, executive order this morning, it also includes an, a, a health officer's order signed by the state health officer, which then applies to everybody in the state of California. That gives us grounds for any action local government emergency managers need to take or get done and and then claim those costs to FEMA. Uh, that's going to be extremely helpful um, to the emergency managers. And I, I just sent out a tweet that said every AOC needs to have that posted up on the wall. This is why we did this under the direction of the state health officer. So with these competing interests going on, with these competing, these competing messages going on, um, you know, there's some criticism coming in from the media, which you could take it or leave it for what it is, but I want to bring it up because I think it's, I think it's important to, again, for messaging purposes. And they are, um, they're, they're criticizing the fact that they're saying, oh, we should have prepared for this. We should have all these things. We should have this and that. Um, that they felt that they feel that we were underprepared for any event like this. Do you think that we are underprepared or do you think that this just took us by surprise at this level and that we're unable to, you know, get the proper medical equipment to the people who are in need? And then the, the follow up on this question um, will be I want to talk about the competing requests for the USS medical hospitals. Uh, uh, there, there's no doubt that we never contemplated 57 emergency declarations at the same time. Nobody ever thought that would happen. We talked about it academically for decades, but and and those of us that have been in business for 40 years, yeah, and that won't ever happen. Well, guess what? It happened. So, um, you know that that's where FEMA's logistics capability, I think, is is without. Uh, peer and, and will be a big contributor here. Uh, federal policy has been to reduce hospital beds uh, for decades. Um, so not only were we unprepared, we intentionally reduced medical capability. We shut military bases like Letterman Hospital and Oak Knoll Hospital in, in the Bay Area. We used those medical resources in 1976 for swine flu one. So you know, we have done, we've not only done a, uh, it's not a poor job, but our planning parameters did not contemplate anything like this coming at us at 600 miles an hour across the world. Um, and, and in the meantime, in the background, we decreased our capabilities for treatment. Um, I, I don't know how long it takes to produce a, a uh, respirator, um, but uh, somebody needs to be uh, getting a big order to that together very quickly. Um, I don't the, the the Defense Production Act. I, I have no idea the mechanics of how that works, but it, you know it may be necessary. Uh, we we did things in in prior recessions like give out contracts to to uh, producers for various things just to keep them in business. We're probably going to have to do something like that this time around as well. Uh, the, the whole idea that so much of our production system is offshore 
is a self-inflicted wound on this. Right. We we could we could plan we could plan all we want, but if we can't get the material here because it's not being made, not being shipped, sitting on dock, doesn't do us any good. We can't touch it. Yeah, there's um, there's only ten um, manufacturers in the world for respirators. The one in Washington State, which is a small, there's an article about it yesterday. That's why now <laughs> there was an article on him, and he was talking about the fact that you know he's normally putting out about five. Um, uh, resp- or, or 500, I'm sorry, respirators um, a week or something like that. And he's trying to ramp it up to a thousand a day. Uh, so he's having to bring more people in. So yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Um, so he's one of the only ones that are, are making them in, in the United States. Domestically. And yeah. I don't, I don't know how you re- retool um, a plant to, to stop production of something else mechanical and, and turn that on. Plus that whole production line has to be certified by uh, the FDA and HHS and probably te- state health departments and things like that. It, even if you can do the engineering fast enough, getting a license to produce is going to be uh, not something that happens overnight as well. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is one of those things we have not we we have damaged our capabilities with prior policy decisions, and you know. The state legislature, all, the California, well, every state delegation in Washington, all has their fingertips on this. Uh, and you know, I, I, I this may be Pete Gaynor's um, rise to to fame, or he could get hung on the cross, depending on how this gets uh, handled. But you know, somebody's always the commits the pilot error, and it could be him, <laughs> but it won't be his. It won't be his fault. Right. Uh, there's decades of contributors to this, um, and you know, some some of what gets in our way is the you know the Clinton whip capitation. We have these individual assistance factors, all of which impede decisions that need to be made in Washington. Um, in order to turn on various programs, uh, and none of that's easy uh, to change because the the Disaster Reform Act in 2018 put a number of things into federal statute that have to be undone by statute. Uh, it's really interesting to me to see that they changed the tax filing deadline. Right. Uh, uh, but... I, I don't see some of the same executive action being taken on the impediments to the disaster recovery and the health recovery that we're, we're facing here. I don't know that they're not going on. They just may not be announced yet because, because of all people, I recognize they're extremely complicated right. uh, and, and not easy things to do. But, um, you know, you mentioned the economic uh, effect early in the conversation, and I had a conversation with within the the. California Emergency Services Group earlier, earlier, well, actually last week, I, people were talking about, well, we need to be thinking about three to six months. I said, no, you need to be thinking of 18 to 24 months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, then just the, the health effects are going to go on that long. The economic effects are going to go on probably longer than that. And, and then let's not forget our friends at the Office of Inspector General who years from now will second guess everything, everything. we did. <laughs> everything that FEMA did, everything right. that the state did, and they'll blame us for something and want to take money back. I mean, it, 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 they, they're the they're the sad joker in all of this. Is they never have to do anything real time, but 
but they tell us what we did in real time was wrong right. uh, and want money back. And, 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 and they, years, years later, too. Hey, Jerry, we're going to take, take a quick break. When we come back, um, I want to get more into the economics of this thing. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that break, and, and thank you for listening to the sponsor. And, and right now, with the, with everything that's going on, uh, you know, having a quality communications piece in your back pocket um, is is really critical. And Titan HST has actually uh, reached out to um, emergency management organizations across the country and is giving their uh, software right now um, away for free. Uh, to, to use it for communications if you need some backup. So if you're looking for something or need some additional help, please reach out to Titan HST for this generous offer of the use of the software for free during this crisis. So, Jerry, before we went on break, um, we were discussing some of the economics issues that are going on here. And I, and I think I want to I just step on this a little bit more because the recovery is going to be huge. And I know that's kind of where you shine What's the? I mean, I know we should be talking about recovery now, right? Because as we always say, recovery starts when the first disaster or first sign of the disaster starts. But what can people be doing? Emergency managers be doing to start the recovery process today? Okay. Well, there are two two sides to the equation. They, we have a pretty well defined mechanism for those recovery items that are FEMA eligible. I mean, we'll constantly argue about it because we always do in every, every event. This is not going to be any different. The, it, the side of this that is not well-defined is the individual economy, the loss of tax revenues. Uh, in the wildfires, tax base went away and is still gone away. We're not going to destroy the tax base on this way in terms of property tax. But with these shutdowns, the loss of sales tax, transient occupancy tax, and all kinds of other economic taxes, I mean, look at your hotel bill and see how many government taxes are on there as a fee. Well, hotels are closed or 10% occupancy or they're going to be closed. None of that income will be there, and we still need the police supported. We still need the fire supported, and more importantly at the moment, we need knowledgeable emergency managers supported, which are typically general fund um, uh, operations. So, you know, what we don't have well-defined yet is what the unemployment benefits are going to be, what the payroll administrative leave makeup is going to be, all of those things that put money in people's pockets. Uh, Florida did a an economic study after Hurricane Andrew, and they had a huge bulge uh, at Home Depots and suppliers like that for building supplies, replacing washing machines, and things of that nature. And and a tremendous, what they refer to, sales tax bulge. This is going to be the opposite. We're going to have sales tax tanking, um, and then we'll have a bulge later on, but I don't think the bulge will be anywhere high enough to make up for what we're going to lose here in the next 90 to 90 days to six months. So they're, um, they're looking at a 20%, and this was uh, in Wall Street Journal, stated a 20% unemployment rate, which they're thinking is going to occur after this. And 
that's potentially even even larger. Now, if you think about this, put it in perspective, in 1938, we were at a 25% unemployment rate uh, during the Great Depression. We're seeing the stock market take a crash. It started off at 25,000 something, seven, like seven something um, on, on March 1st. Today, I think we're still in the 20s, I, I hope. Last time I Barely. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's an amazing, uh, oh, wow. We're at 19,958, so not even 20. Um, how is this going to play out for us, you know, coming out of this? Even April 19th, it looks like, was what the, federal, what the uh, state government said is our last day of, 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 of stay safe, right? So, you know, beginning of, uh, end of April here, we're not going to see employment rise back up that quick. Oh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have a long-term, um, very high level of unemployment. The service businesses are not going to come back fast. Hotels are not going to come back fast. Air, air, airlines are not going to come back fast because people aren't going to travel. Uh, they're not going to have the money to travel. Uh, and you know, all of those types of businesses have fixed costs that will continue to go on. Um, and I think just like it was in 2008, uh, to, people took a while to get used to, uh, oh, yeah, I actually do have enough money in my bank account now to, to take a short trip. Um, so I, the longer the unemployment situation goes on, uh, the, the more deep the recession is going to be. Uh, and the longer it's going to take to come out of it. You know, the, the, the stock market debacle here, you know, the first couple of days ago, it's an overreaction. And it, if you don't have to sell anything, it has no impact, unless, of course, you're an elected official who trades on insider right. information. Um, and But I, I think with the level of drop now, it's going to take a huge economic bulge to move the stock market back up. You know, we did this in the Depression. We've done it at a couple of others where, you know, public works projects of various types, not necessarily infrastructure, replaced some of the business economic activity, uh, and that's helpful. Um, but people also know that's going to come to an end, and, and then the private sector jobs have to come back. Uh, you know, that – I have no crystal ball as to how fast we will – turn that around and start generating the kind of tax income, the kind of economic activity that was occurring in December and early January. I mean, people started feeling the impact of this in, by mid-January mid in the United States, and it, and, and it hasn't slowed down. Uh, and and, and I, I am absolutely confident that everybody who says it's going to get worse before it gets better is speaking the truth whether that's medically or economically or both of those things combined. This is going to be a long-term effort, uh, and, and, and FEMA may be the easiest part of it. Right. Let's and talk you know that's not something I say casually. <laughs> I know, Jerry. I know. Talk about the truth real quick. Um, with, again, we're mis- I don't want to say it's, it's. I don't say it's misinformation because I don't think that anybody's trying to spread bad information. But it seems to be like the numbers that we're hearing from the WHO are different than the numbers that we're hearing from, say, John Hopkins or you know who's been tracking this. Um, you know, different from the numbers that 
you know, the, the governor of California is giving out compared to, you know, the governor of, of Montana. Um, how do we get on the same message? Because I think once we start doing this and, and having different messages like this, we're going to lose the trust of the public quickly. Uh, what, how can we rectify that? Uh, well, I don't know that you can. What, dealing with raw numbers it, it is not something that translates well in a, in a uh, medical environment. I, I can't, for, for weeks I was tweeting, what's the epidemiological rates we're talking about? So, you know, if, if California has 40 million people and we have 1,000 cases, that's really not that much. Uh, and if we have 16 deaths out of 40 million people, I don't know that that measures as an epidemiological rate. Do I think it can get real bad if people don't pay attention that the message is this is a serious new virus? Nobody is immune to it. There's no herd immunity. There's not going to be an immunization for 12 to 18 months. And, you know, Dr. Fauci is is somebody that uh, I, I have nominated for president every time his name comes up. Uh, you know, he's made it real clear that this is a long-term big deal medically and public health-wise, and that trickles down through the entire economy. So I, I, I don't know that the governors of the different states citing their absolute numbers are giving out a different message. They're reflecting the local circumstances. And, and you know, with, with everybody likes to attack uh, the elected officials who so criticizing Governor Newsom for saying 50% of Californians get, in, get infected. They don't read the rest of the sentence that says if mitigation measures aren't taken. Right. You know, you, and so, you know, things like that are a little silly, and, and the, but the media is creating a, an aura of distrust, and they did this very much in swine flu 1 in 76, is, is they beat everybody up, and, and then when the vaccine came out, they, they trumpeted the, the side effects, were, which were years later documented to be not side effects. Um, so it, you know, the media has got to realize that, that, you know, they're creating a lot of damage, uh, one, with quoting raw numbers, two, by picking apart sentences and, and picking one or two words that make the five o'clock headline. That's not helpful to this situation at all. Yeah, I was listening uh, yeah. to uh, MSNBC um, today, and uh, one of the newscasters, I forget her name, Mika or something like that, she was like talking about how Hollywood is donating all of their props, uh, which are real actually, but the medical stuff from like the medical shows um, to the hospitals around the area. And she was on her soapbox saying, "How can this be? You know, why don't we have this?" And I'm like, you, you know, you don't even understand supply chain if you're asking that question because a lot of those things that we get are coming from China, which aren't producing anything anywhere now, right now. Right, right. It's it's a self-inflicted wound. We have moved the production systems offshore. Uh, we're not loading ships. We're not unloading shops, ships. We're not uh, taking containers off the, the docks. We have done this ourselves, and, and, and clearly they don't understand what it takes to put even a brand-new piece of equipment taken out of the box to put it into service is not just unwrap the paper. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it's a big deal to get all of this equipment licensed for permission to use, uh, and, and none of it happens uh, quickly. Right. It, if it's functional equipment and if it can be put in working order, that's helpful. But it's not helpful to say, how did, how did, how did this happen? Well, you know, as a result,
result of the Northridge earthquake, there were three nonprofit hospitals severely damaged. Uh, the life was made so difficult that one of them closed, right. went out of business, and and the two others merged. So where there were three, there was now one. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's still in business, but we don't have Letterman Hospital in Northern California. We don't have Oak Knoll Naval Station in Oakland anymore. Uh, you know, we have diminished our resources. And when you don't have hospital beds, you don't have respirators and, and the associated equipment like that. Yeah, we're losing uh, hospitals a lot out here. Yeah. Hey, we're getting close to the hard, hard stop on this. I, I just want to ask one last question. Uh, I think that as emergency managers, again, we should be looking at what does this look like when we come out on the other side? Well, I, I, we'll see a much smaller private sector employment for m months or years to come. We'll see a diminished public sector employment when they run out of money. Um, and... Um, I guess the, you know the light at the end of the tunnel within our profession is we should have a lot more emergency managers who are brought back into the chief executive offices of whatever organization they work in and, and, and given a, a adequately funded um, operation, including uh, some warehouse of stores uh, of things that we know we need in the short run. We can't do the, you know, the major capital equipment's just too expensive to let sit around. You know, we did that in Homeland Security. We had a lot of equipment that went on a shelf and ended up getting thrown out yeah. when it couldn't be maintained. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we, we're looking at a long-term uh, employment impact. Um, we should see some benefits uh, as, as some of the changes in the 2017 fires improved some of the capabilities in California on alerting and warning, but you know, the, those items are hard to maintain. And, and I'm, I hope we have, uh, you know, a couple of years of, of high level interest. Uh, and after that, we'll need something new where people don't forget who their emergency manager is and why they exist. Absolutely. Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Great. Thanks. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to uh, Ian Weekly today on this special broadcast. Um, and please always, you know, come check us out over at Facebook, check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn, and always on Sitch Radio.